Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Katie Kaz and Abby Gibson. They're both students who share their experience leading an acute care SIG special interest group at their universities, their personal experience with acute care, and how they took advantage of their professor's illness to learn pulmonary pathology. Let's welcome our guest. All right. Hello, everyone. Just wanted to welcome Katie Kaz, who's coming from the University of St. Augustine, Dallas campus, and founder of the Acute Subacute Care Organization, SIG, Special Interest Group over at her university. Katie came through us by way of Edward Mathis, one of our producers for the podcast. So, Katie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. First, to start off, what got you interested in starting this special interest group? You being a student still, and how, how much longer until you graduate? You've got it's another year? Less than a year. I graduate April 2024. So I still have a couple months, but I'm kind of in the finish line is in sight. Yes, yes, yes. So. Tell us, how did you get started? How did you even start this special interest group? What's the origin story? Yes. So I am a part of USA's Dallas campus, which is brand new. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually their second cohort. Going into my grad school program, I kind of knew that a brand new university, there's a lot of opportunity to start new things. Yep. And I was maybe one of a handful of students who actually had experience in acute care prior to starting DPT. And so a lot of people, you know, like they would come ask me questions like, hey, I'm like, I'm interested. I don't know, you know, where to go from here. I don't like, I don't know where to get the experience. I don't know who to ask. Like, I want to learn more because, you know, as a student, we're trying to differentiate what we want to do after we graduate. And so a lot of people were like, hey, like, you know, we're starting a sports SIG. We're starting, you know, a geriatric SIG. Why don't, why don't you start an acute care SIG? And I was like, you know, that seems like a great idea, but I would like to kind of take it a step further and instead of just acute care, have basically most of inpatient settings mm -hmm. covered. So we try to cover acute care, subacute inpatient rehab, home health, skilled nursing facilities, just because there's a very small number of students after graduation that go into those settings. Mm -hmm. And part of me thinks that the reason why is just because there's not a lot of information, not a lot of education out there. At least in my experience, the University of St. Augustine has been very good about kind of that beginner into acute care, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I still feel like there's so much more out there than just, you know, patient care management one, two, and three. Yeah. Cardiac home. First of all, I have to clarify for those listening, because this threw me for a second. USA is not United States of America. <laughs> it's University of St. Augustine. I was like, USA, yep. wow, you're going big time. But I, I think this is fantastic that you've started this thing. And I also love that you're including other settings as well, other than just the hospital. Because I think also to work in acute care and to really understand 
like the role of an acute care therapist, you also have to understand what all those other settings are because you're recommending discharge locations and you need to know like what that entails if you're going to try to send a patient there. So I think that's fantastic. I want to hear more about like what kind of activities, what kind of things do you all do in this special interest group that you created? So I, it probably took me a couple of months to write all the bylaws and whatnot. Oh, fun. fun stuff, right? <laughs> but after that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we really kick-started with this current trimester that we're in. We've spoken to Dr. Edward Mathis. I had him come in because he has experience with APTA leadership, but he mm -hmm. also has experience with being in acute care, but like a more rural setting. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I had him come in, talk to students. So the way that we do it is like for acute care, it's kind of hard to do like a lunch and learn because usually during lunchtime, if you're working in acute care, we all know it, you're probably working on notes. You're not mm -hmm. actually having lunchtime. And so we try and do it in the evenings. We do a virtual format just because we have been inviting the, the different types of campuses for St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Dallas. I've been inviting Austin. And just recently, I also invited our San Marcos campus because our second speaker was Dr. Dr. Gorman, who was the previous APTA acute care president. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mathis was actually her treasurer. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is Dr. Sharon Gorman, who yep. has been on the podcast for those of you who may not know the full name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And she was wonderful. She also went into detail about her, her steps to leadership and also her fist function and setting test that she developed herself. So primarily what we kind of do is more so bring in guest speakers to talk to the students who want to know more. But, you know, in this day and age with COVID and whatnot, sometimes having those hands-on experience in the hospitals, in these inpatient settings aren't necessarily as obtainable. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do a lot of education. We're looking to have another guest speaker in about a month. He is actually a faculty member on our campus, but he works for Encompass, which is a very widespread inpatient rehab facility. And so another goal that we're trying to do other than just education is also networking. Mm -hmm. So because mm -hmm. Encompass is so large, we were going to have him a, you know, talk about what inpatient rehab is, but also, you know, like if I want to work for Encompass, if I want to work for inpatient rehab, what are some things that, you know, I should look at? What are some things that, you know, I might need to do in order to make this happen after I graduate? That's smart. You're like, we're not only learning about acute care and subacute care, we're also learning how to market ourselves yeah. to these employers when we graduate what got you interested in acute care to begin with like you, you had some experience in acute care can you tell us a little bit about that experience that you had before yes so i have been working with select medical since august 2020 so i started in the middle of covid mm -hmm. which i feel like would defer a lot of people but somehow i stayed I, I worked as an outpatient tech for about four years leading up to it. Also in COVID, a lot of people were letting people out, of, let, letting them go for jobs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I was one of those people. 
I wanted something like that was relevant in my field, but was something that was more stable and more guaranteed than a part-time PRN outpatient tech. And so I was like, well, I, I've never been in acute care yet. And there was a full-time position available. I was taking a year off between undergrad and DPT. So I, I, I mean, I went in for the experience and I got a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And, I bet you did. <laughs> yes. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. But looking back at it, because I remember some of my earliest coworkers who kind of used to like pick fun at me. They're like, oh, like, you don't like this kind of stuff. And I was like, I really don't know. But now mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, you know, I sit here now and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I took that leap into acute care. Just because I've learned how like rewarding it is. And part of me feels like I'm really making a difference, mm-hmm. especially it being like that first step for most patients. That's Leo true. and I love to hear stories of people who thought they liked outpatient and then turned to acute care. So for those of you students listening, make sure you do a clinical in acute care because you never know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Katie, I want to go back real quick to the, that special interest group, your SIG at the university. And also just the, the regular DPT program. So what acute care information do they teach in, in your basic DPT program entry level? And how much more are you getting? Because you already talked about it, meeting the guest speakers. How much more are you getting with the special interest group? Because it, there seems like there's like all this information that with the special interest group and these guest speakers would benefit everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So what are they teaching you just in the, in, the, in the DPT program regarding acute care? So DPT in, in our DPT program, we have patient care management one and two, mm-hmm. which is kind of your go-to for, you know, how, how do you do transfers? How do you manage lines? Some cardiopulmonary, especially, like, it's geared towards being in general, but there's also a lot of it that there's a very big crossover from mm-hmm. cardiopulm into the acute care setting. Mm-hmm. Um, You're speaking a language, by the way, between you. You really are. <laughs> Keep going. Shout out to Cardio Palm. <laughs> yes. Like whenever we were going over orthostatic like hypotension, I was like, well, I see this a lot day to day in all patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had integumentary physical therapy, which I really liked. Unfortunately, the way that our class was formatted was it wasn't a full 15 weeks. Mm. And there's actually a PRN PT at the hospital that I currently work at who is a full-time INTEG mm-hmm. PT. And so just to be able to see some of the things she sees because she's able, she has some images and whatnot that she's able to keep, but she'll show me some things and I'm like, wow, that's not at all stuff that I see in class. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, You know, some of these classes are really good at introducing it, but I've also heard from a couple of different like hospital systems and whatnot where they have to put new grads in through additional like training and whatnot, just because there are some additional topics that some PT schools just don't have, you know, they don't have the time. Like there's just so much time, so many things to learn. And it's just like, you know, how deep do you go into this one? Like 
small, like this one interest. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it's small, but like, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So also just hearing about your experience with, with PT and then Ashley and I, we, we have our own stories too. But I, I like the story I think you had mentioned earlier about, are, are there any specific patient experiences that you've had so far that really made you, that kind of put the stamp on it? Like, I really like acute care. And I think really, that's a lot of therapist experiences. Like there's that one time when that patient took their very first step or that one time that that patient came back and you're like, wow, rehab did do something. And they probably oh, initially yeah. didn't like, yeah, they didn't like therapy I, because they were at their lowest. There's mm -hmm. always some that stand out and you're just like, oh, I'll never forget. Yeah. Do you have any that stand out? There, there was this one. I know we briefly mentioned him a little earlier, but we had a patient who stayed in acute care services as long as he could. So he stayed basically a whole month. He was originally admitted for COVID, mm. uh, ended up having more respiratory issues. He ended up developing C. diff while he was there. Just complete. He was at probably his lowest point. Mm. He refused therapy for probably two weeks straight. Thankfully, the physical therapist that I worked with at the time didn't really want to give up on him. Mm -hmm. That's a nice thing about acute care. Outpatients can just not come in. Mm -hmm. Like patients and inpatient can't escape us. We can keep persisting, right? <laughs> yeah. And kudos to that therapist by not saying, oh, two refusals. That's our max. They're done. We'll just wait yeah. until they put new orders in. So your therapist, they were, they were proactive and said, no, let's give this a shot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he was mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Welcome to our world. That mm -hmm. reminds me of Kevin Bruley's episode, Grow a Thick Skin, right? Grow yes, thick skin. Grow a Thick Skin. Care, for sure. He, like, he was mean. And I mean, I don't blame him. All he could do was lay in bed. You know, he didn't have enough energy or just strength in, in, in general to, you know, get up and move around. It took us the longest time just to convince them, hey, let us just get you to the chair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. And from there, you know, the chair turned into taking steps around the room, yes. turned into like walking down the hall. And it kind of, because sometimes when you're in that PT spot, you're like, yeah, like we need to do some stuff. And you kind of have to have that hard love. Mm -hmm. And. That's where it's it's nice where you have like a tech because sometimes you get to do like good cop, bad cop. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so my physical therapist at the time, she kind of used me as that. So she would she would send me into the room first. Oh, no. So you were the bad cop. No, I was I was good cop. Oh, okay. Good cop. I was going to say, I thought you would be good cop. OK. But so, so, Ashley is definitely the bad cop. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Because I am, she's, I'm bad and good. I'm bad and good. <laughs> she would send me in to sugar him all up. Like, you know, how's your day going? Like, how's your grandkids? Uh, like, I love there anything involved. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. But because some long-term patients, you know, they'll put like the little pictures up yeah. on their hospital walls. Just because, you know, being in a hospital room for so long, I'm surprised mm -hmm. he didn't. He wasn't delirious, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh you know, Especially during COVID when family couldn't come visit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, all it took was just like trying to like kind of like peel back the little onion layers. Yeah. Trying to figure out like what, like what his goals were really. 
Uh, and so I think that trying to be a little bit more on a personal level with him ended up working for us, working for him mm-hmm. because he was able to relate, talk to us a little bit more, opened up, was more willing to do the work. Granted, towards the end of his stay, he obviously still needed a lot more work because they couldn't get him off of oxygen. He was still very fatigued with most activities and he wasn't safe to go home. Right. And so they ended up transferring him to an LTAC. Mm -hmm. But it's just the fact that he went from, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm done. Get out of my room. Right. (laughs) We're strolling down the hallway, listening to Spotify, talking about his like four and five year old grandkids. There's just like, granted, I don't know where he went from LTAC. And that's the unfortunate part is sometimes we just don't know mm-hmm. where these patients go. But just at least knowing that, you know, in the time that you were in their lives, they've gotten so much better. Right. Oh my gosh, like, so, I have... oh, go ahead. Because sometimes a is more than just the, the physical part, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes we're kind of like those emotional cheerleaders too. One hundred percent. Oh my gosh, I've always said that. I'm not just a PT. I'm a psychologist. I'm a cheerleader. I'm like a, a, a sergeant sometimes. Like <laughs> right, right, right. Caregiver sometimes. I don't think yeah. it's good cop, bad cop so much as it's like you know you do have to establish that rapport and you have to get to know your patient and you do need to play good cop because some of those patients really need you to like get to know them and trust you. Like you're asking them to trust you. You know, yes. and it's amazing just how they do that sometimes just without thinking. Uh, but some patients need a little bit of that, you know, rapport building before they can trust you. And then you can be, the, I would say, the tough love cop, not the bad cop. Yeah, they yeah, get yeah. Up there and we get go. Moving. Yeah. But mm. I, have to t- I have to tell you this. So one of one of my colleagues who is doing an amazing job starting a PICS clinic at Duke, her name is Sarah Dorn. So shout out to her. She is doing this research project right now that I'm helping her with where she is actually collecting patient stories that have been through this whole acute care, mm. ICU. And she's taking these stories when they come to her because she's kind of the last stop, right, in yeah. the clinic. And she's collecting them and she's taking them back into the ICU. Oh, wow. And let's say all the people on the unit, nurses, doctors, therapists, everybody who treated these patients are able to read these stories, these success stories. She calls it Meet Me Again. And it's really cool what it does for their morale and like preventing burnout. Cause it's like, oh, we're not just like sending these patients out and never knowing what happens to them. So yeah. I, I understand the like, oh gosh, they left and I, I didn't get to follow up and keep in touch with them. Yeah. But it's such a wonderful thing she's doing. So Ashley, so you said that, you said that that's it's a PICS clinic. So PICS post intensive care syndrome. Yeah, post intensive right. care syndrome. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, she's and, gonna publish the the results she's gotten. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, it'd be really cool to hear. And then also just for clarification for our audience, Katie, when you're talking talking about your patient, them going to LTAC, LTAC stands for long-term acute care. So again, it's great in terms of your special interest group. It's not just purely acute care. And actually, this is something that I learned from Sharon Gorman is that acute care isn't just a location. You can have acute patients. And I think Morgan Lopker was featured in APTA in Jackpot about transitioning into home and you can have acute care patients. They're at home and actually having that acute care experience, wherever you go, you're ready because you've had that experience with the, with the sickest of the sick patients. Yeah. Uh, and they're sending them home so much earlier now. Yes. So they are still acute. They're not always 
I mean, they're stable, but ish, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was part of the reason why we kind of lumped home health Mm -hmm. into our SIG. Yeah. Just because I know it's technically not inpatient, really. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's just, it's very similar. If not, you know, it's, you're taking the same like skill levels. Plus, you know, being creative because you're in someone else's home. Yep, yep. But it's it's just as important. My faculty advisor, my first try, told me this one quote, and this one quote has like stuck with me. About like thirty percent of DPT students typically go into these. So if you were to separate between outpatient and everything else, seventy percent seventy percent go to outpatient, and that thirty percent it goes to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I used to do here, and I definitely saw some acute. I'm doing air. You can't see me. Acute patients in in home care for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like she said, I would rather teach someone how to walk again than try and teach someone how to throw a baseball more properly. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just kind of words that she quite literally told me orientation day one, and mm-hmm. it's stuck with me now. It's been almost two years. I haven't really changed my mind. I've been to an outpatient rotation. I loved it. But do I think that, you know, what I want to do in terms of like my career is going to be outpatient? Probably not. Just because I feel like there are so many other like underserved areas of physical therapy Mm -hmm. other than just outpatient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know what? Kirby Mayer, who's down, I think, in in Kentucky. Kentucky I was talking yeah. to him not too long ago, and he said, actually, I think that those numbers are rising in terms of how many students that graduate actually go into purely outpatient. There's a lot more that are starting to consider, you know, everything on the other side of the, of the aisle, right? Acute care, subacute, inpatient rehab. Yeah. I think it's just the job availability, too. It's just like, okay, they don't get their dream job in, in outpatient, but they're looking for a place that's maybe a hybrid. They've got, uh, mm-hmm. you know, acute and outpatient within the medical system. And sometimes people just exposed to it and they end up loving it. And then I, I feel a lot of people, they, they get exposed to acute care. They're like, what is this? And they, they fall in love and they can't get rid of, yeah. can't get rid of them. <laughs> it's a good reminder, though, for us who work in academic institutions to like, you know, let's, let's, let's make students aware of these yes. other job markets that are available instead of just outpatient and just acute care for that matter. I love that reminder. Yeah. I think it's time for our rapid responses, though. Katie, do you know what rapid responses are? Do you know our our, our little game that we play here on Acute Conversations? I remember it from the JOT form. Yes. (laughs) By the way, everyone, the JOT form is what we make all our guests fill out before they come on so we get to learn a little bit about them. So for anybody who wants to come onto our podcast, you're going to have to fill out a JOT form to tell us a little something about yourself so we know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. right. I'm going to start a timer. Leo, you want to take the first question? Absolutely. All right. Let's take Let's go. A one minute timer. Let's see. All right. I am ready. Katie, tell me what would your perfect pizza be like? Deep dish, thin crust, and what would the toppings? Oh, that's hard. Rapid. Um, go. I like Alfredo sauce, chicken. Um, do you like to read fiction or nonfiction? I like fiction. Good. Favorite color of scrubs? Burgundy. 
Burgundy. Okay. Oh, nice. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Night owl. Give me a song that's on your workout playlist. That's if I worked out. Come on. You got to say something. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Oh, I love it. What's your most favorite book? I haven't had time to read recently. <laughs> or TV oh, show. Can you can go TV show. <laughs> Going down with you. Bones. Bones. Okay. Very cool. And then we have our final question or statement, more or less. You know you work in acute care when... Complete the sentence. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. If anybody wants to reach out, is there somewhere they can reach out to you or something we can put in the show notes for them? Yes, you can either reach out to my email or my acute care SIG actually has its own Instagram. Oh, nice. It's at DTX underscore ASCO. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. Of course. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, and good luck with the rest of PT School. We'll see you on the IQ Care Floors soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and now a quick announcement from APT Acute Care. Do you know someone that is making a difference within acute care physical therapy? Did you know that APTA Acute Care has five annual awards to honor contributions to elevate acute care? The deadline for 2024 nominations is fast approaching, October 10th. Please check out our awards page to see what is involved in making a nomination. The Academy has five awards. The Mary Sinnott Award for Clinical Excellence in Acute Care, James Dunleavy Distinguished Service Award, Judy Euler Fellowship Award, the Lecture Award, and the Katherine Harris Educator Award. These awards are the highest honor APTA Acute Care can bestow in recognition of excellence and are awarded at CSM annually during the membership meeting. APTA Acute Care members, and in some instances non-members, are encouraged to nominate deserving individuals for these awards. To view the nomination forms and descriptions of award criteria and supporting documentation, visit the links below. Again, nominations are accepted until October 10th, 2023. And now, back to the show. All right, audience. Let me introduce Abby Gibson, coming from Duke University's PT program, also where my co-host, Ashley Poole, teaches. Uh, she's a, absolutely, she's a third-year student, also the leader of their acute care special interest group, their SIG, uh, and she is on her first one-on-one -on -one rotation, and uh, we just wanted to welcome you. Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, Ooh. Abby. So let's start off with the, the special interest group. Now, how did you fall into, from being a student, right, because most students will say they had relatively little exposure to acute care, but it might be a little bit different because you've got Dr. Poole here that might have kind of swayed yes. you. How did that happen? How did you get into that leadership position? Yeah. So my big, we do big and littles at Duke. So my big was actually the former leader of the acute care SIG. So I kind of knew about it from her going into the program. Is that a higher level uh, DPT student, like a third year student what? or second year? Yeah, it's usually right. the year right above you. You might have to explain it. It's like, is it like big brother, little brother, big sister, little sister, like that, like or like big PT student, little PT student. Yes, just like big PT student, little PT student. And they were kind of there as like a mentor. And so she was the former 
And so I kind of heard about that position when she was doing it. And then when application came around, I was like, you know what? I'm really interested in acute care. This might be a good way to kind of like make connections and also spread knowledge on it. <laughs> so wow. I decided to apply for it and I got it and I shared it with another student at Duke. So we were co-leaders and we just passed the baton like about a month or two ago. To- Let me pump the brakes. As a first year student, you're yes. in acute care. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, I know. It just, I know a lot of people have not the case. Yeah. Explain this to me, please. Explain this to us. Yes, I will. It's actually interesting. So my mom was a physical therapist. She's not practicing anymore, but she was an inpatient rehab therapist. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, like that's really the side of PT that I knew. Like mm-hmm. honestly, it was like backwards from a lot of people. Like I knew. By the way, in- Abby, I know you, but I don't think I ever knew your no- <laughs> your mom was a PT. This is new to me. She's my origin story. Yeah. So she she did inpatient rehab, and so then I was like, oh, I just kind of assumed physical therapy was like always more of like more acuity or more complex patients. And then it wasn't until I was honestly like getting my hours in undergrad that I was, like, oh, actually outpatient is the biggest sector oh, of this. Okay, this is hysterical because it's the so opposite. Normally it's like people are observing in outpatient clinics and then they go to inpatient and they're like, oh. Yes, it's they're like, oh, this happens too. Yeah, so I had it all backwards, but I've always had like a strong passion for the inside of it, the inpatient side of it. And then I kind of found acute care. That was a little more formulated, like throughout my time at Duke, like with the courses that we took. I was kind of inpatient rehab and acute care. I love it all, but just the acuity of it, I really do enjoy. So yeah, that I found it, and that's and I'm so far sticking with it. So. <laughs> Shout I out to, uh, to Gabby's, you... uh, Tabby's mom. Yeah, I know. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your mom's name? Karen. Hi, Karen. Thank you for sending Abby to us to this wonderful profession. <laughs> yeah, we thank her. I also heard you say it at Duke, it's an application process to be a leader of the yeah. acute care SIG. So that insinuates there was more than one person that wanted to lead an acute care special interest group yes. in the yes. class of students, which I also think is really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the same this past year, too. We have several applications. So, yeah, it's growing. I like it. You hear that, everyone? It's competitive to get right. those coveted acute care positions. <laughs> so, so tell, tell us. About about, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I think we might be asking the same thing, Leah. Yeah. I was going to say, tell us about your acute care SIG and like what kind of activities you all do. What kind of gatherings do you have? Yep. Yeah. So, kind of tried to go off some of the interests of our class and then also like our own personal interests. So, we had a strong interest in like cardiopulmonary. So we kind of tried to like gear some events towards that, but also we did. So some of the events, I guess I could just kind of speak to that. We did, we did like a transfer clinic earlier on in the program when the year below me, the second years now got there just because we knew that like the transferring and all of that stuff, those skills maybe were kind of a barrier for people's experiences in the ones that we do, which is like in a team throughout the curriculum before you go on your final clinicals. So we know some students, they didn't really feel comfortable doing that yet. So we wanted to get them comfortable. We put on a transfer clinic. And then we also had, so we teamed up with some other groups, other special interest groups. So neuro was one we did. And we did kind of like a neuro ICU talk with some therapists at Duke who were in the neuro ICU. So those are kind of two ones that we put on. And then another one we put on just to kind of talk about the, <laughs> the high points, I guess, is we have a little bit of a connection with the University of Melbourne in Australia. So we reached out to some students there, the SIG leaders there of their cardiorespiratory SIG. 
we kind of connected with them and did an international SIG event. So we, Dr. Poole actually spoke at that one. So that was really, really fun. But we kind of go across all sorts of sectors. But basically, we try to weave a common theme of like acute care themed focused stuff and kind of unite people over that. So. Yeah, the Australian one was really cool and required yes. a lot of coordination because of the time change. I remember we were like, what time are we doing this? Yes, I did not know how hard it was scheduling an international meeting until I tried to do it. So, yeah, yes. that was a good life skill. Yeah. Yes, I'm glad we have to get up in the middle of the night to record it. Exactly. <laughs> that is so cool that you're doing that as a student. Like, I can barely do that as a functioning professor. I see it. And what's cool, too, is just these networks that you're building as a student. So I think that there, you know, I even have students within my program that are, are considering what are the steps that they would need to take to start a, a special interest. Would you have any advice for them, Abby? Yeah. I mean, I think what was helpful for me is speaking to like the current leaders and just kind of gauging their experience and understanding and knowing your own limitations too. Like how much of a time commitment is this? Do I have like time management? Because still at the same time, like you are a PT student, there's a lot of hours studying. So knowing if you can sort of like take it on and if you feel like you can, I would definitely just recommend like applying for it and at least seeing if you can like get involved in some way. So even if you end up not being a leader, you could always be a member of like many groups and people love members of all sorts of groups. So definitely could still get involved. But I just would encourage students to try it because I was hesitant at the time we were gearing up for our hardest semester and I was like, you know what, I can't add another thing to my plate. But looking back, I'm so glad that I did once I kind of was able to get my time management and everything. So yeah, just go for it would be my advice and talk to people above you. When if if students are at a program, and I think maybe Leah was referring to this, if students that are at a program that maybe don't have an acute care SIG and yeah. they want to start one from scratch, like who was your point person at Duke that like would that you would go to to be like, hey, I want to help get this started. Like, what you know, what would that process right. look like if somebody wanted to start a brand new one? Right. I think it could look a variety of ways. So definitely reaching out to professors that have that. So if you are a professor of like an acute care topic, you could reach out with them and see if they would be willing to like support it or help you. But I know that through us, like here at Duke, we do like student affairs helps put it on. So we have some, we have positions there that we would then contact them. So I think if you ask around, you'll probably get directed towards the right person. And it's really is a great framework. Like I, if it's not existing at a current program, I would definitely encourage it because it's just helpful to like get in some expertise and see interests and even log into other meetings that maybe you're not initially like, oh, I want to do that and learn more. So I would definitely encourage it. It's really a great like framework to have in a, in a program. Now, as I understand it, you're currently on your first one-on-one -on -one clinical rotation. Yes. Is this an inpatient rotation right now? Surprisingly, this is actually ortho outpatient. So at the <laughs> other end of the spectrum. The best for last. That's yes, right. my next right. two will be. Yeah. But I feel that some of those skills transfer over. Absolutely. Just being oh, able yeah. to, to troubleshoot. And, you know, an interesting thing, Abby, and I want to ask you a question. I want to ask yeah. you about this. What do you think about acute care therapists? implementing outpatient skills on the inpatient setting. For example, I've heard therapists say like, oh, I don't do manual therapy or I don't do X, Y, and Z. That's, they can wait until they're in outpatient. Well, we don't say, well, they can wait to walk until they're down in subacute. We don't say that. Right. But care therapists are like, yeah. if, if we can do the sooner, the better for us. That's like our opportunity. Yes. So what opinions do you have about inpatient therapists doing outpatient techniques? No, I, I think there's room for it, certainly. Like I, that's definitely something that 
I'm really thankful I'm doing this ortho outpatient. I'm absolutely loving it as well, but it will be great to have this kind of foundation and bring it into the hospital setting. So I think that like there is room for it. And I think in some ways it can even kind of like enhance the patient experience. So I think it's a great way, like the reps and sets that you do in outpatient and the reasons that you do them, I think can apply to someone on a more acute level. And I've even found, we kind of did a little bit of it in some of my previous experiences. It kind of empowers them. They're like, okay, you want me to do three sets of 10 of this? Like that means I can do it. If you think I can do it, I'm going to do it. So I feel like I really, I want to bridge the gap a little bit in my own brain and kind of try to use both skills in both settings. So and again, there's a ton of overlap too. So really doesn't have to be divided. So yeah, I, I think there's room for it. And I'm trying to trying my best. <laughs> that's great to hear that you have an open mind about that. Uh, Ashley, yeah. do you have any opinions about, yeah, about that? I I think that's, that. that sounds great. Well, I'm just thinking in my own personal experience, like working in acute care, there's been so many times I've just gotten a consultation that's like shoulder pain. Right. Or low back pain. Patient's completely independent. Like patient can walk, but yet this low back pain is really impacting their ability to get up and move. And it's it's making them really uncomfortable and it's making them have a horrible hospital state because the hospital beds are awful to sleep in to, to some people. So I think if if we can empower those patients and give them, it might not have to be multiple visits. Maybe it's just one visit or two to show them like, Here's some exercises you can do. Here's some techniques. Here's some strategies to help during your hospital stay. And oh, by the way, here's an here's a referral for outpatients so you continue to get this dressed if it doesn't get better when you get home. I think we have a huge role to play in that. I mean, I really think as an acute care therapist, yes, we move people and they have lots of lines and leads and we have all these complex clinical decisions we have to make, but we can also use all of our skills. I mean, yeah. really, we, we see everything in anything, which is kind of nice. It's one of the reasons I love it. It's like, as Forrest Gump says, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what oh, you're going to get, right? right? I mean, that's part of the fun of drawing to acute care. But I also feel that, you know, as when we look at our identity as mobility experts, I don't feel that mobility stops at a certain point. And a lot of therapists might have gripes about acute care therapists saying that, oh, all we do is walk patients. Well, why does everyone think that we just walk patients? Right. Yeah. That's all that we demonstrate, like, oh, shoulder mobilization. Well, I don't do that. Leo, don't get me on my soapbox now. Right. 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 But it's like we're, we're all right. different now. Am, am I the best to be doing like shoulder mobs and like spinal mobs? No, but I can at least start. And what I think is so important is as acute care physical therapist, sometimes we're the, we're the point of entry. Like we're the first contact right. that a patient might have with the physical therapist. Or hopefully maybe they've had negative you know, experience before, maybe you as, a, as the individual therapist are the one that kind of breaks that mold and you kind of set up the expectations like, wow, these physical therapists, I came, I saw them, they were with me for literally 30 minutes, but they gave me one exercise and I felt empowered like, oh, okay, I can get up and move around. I can kind of be in charge of my pain. So it's so empowering for us to be able to, to do that. So I think yeah. that that's huge, Abby. Thank you for yeah, the great gap. Even actually funny, just as we're talking about this, I was thinking about it just this morning, I did like a monocyst transfer you know in ortho outpatient setting it just happened that like patient was struggling with some stuff and so the skills they go both ways i feel like having it and everyone's wow that was a great transfer and i was like you know what it's because i love you care so <laughs> yeah so it goes yeah it definitely goes both ways and i just had another thought on this really quick maybe even like love to hear your thoughts but i know some of the acute care therapists like i've been talking to they're kind of saying like they're seeing patients stay in the hospital for longer 
And with that, sometimes like if the subacute or the next steps aren't available for them, they have to rehab in place is kind of like a motion. And so I know with that, you know, people will be healing and maybe the skill set that they were working on initially is now not as like they progress. So then I think maybe that would be the time to like introduce like more outpatient type or even like inpatient rehab skills. So I was curious to hear your thoughts or if you guys run into that. But I've heard that conversation tossed around too. Yeah. yeah. Ashley, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. I mean, I definitely see, we see this a lot, like, especially with patients, they can't get home because of the safety reason, or they don't have a bed placement yet. Or I know during COVID also, it was like a big thing where we were doing rehab in place in the hospital all the time. And I think when that happens, like your skills change, you know, I, I mean, I remember, I remember having patients on IV antibiotics that were intravenous drug users that they would not discharge until the antibiotics were finished, right? They were in the hospital for that full six to eight week transfusion period because they didn't want them to go home and risk, you know, them putting something in their IV that was not medication. So we've done that many times. And then I think your skills really expand, right? Because now you're not just doing like acute care skills. They're the traditional ones, so to speak. But yeah. you're also now having to take somebody from, you know, completely needing your services acutely to now they're more subacute. What can you do and how can you expand and progress that plan of care? So now they're getting a little more independent and they're functionally ready to go home, but yet they might still need more services. And, you know, so you might still be referring or equipment recommendations might change over time, right? Like they needed a walker, but now they need a cane. So I think it's really, really need to be able to do that. But I also think some of that is a system issue too. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, patients are meant to rehab in the hospital. And I think that's probably something that needs to be addressed in different ways. But I think if if they're there, the PTs can definitely help. Yeah, I agree. I've had those similar situations where maybe they just held up because they're waiting for insurance approval or they're waiting for, you know, it's like they're in, in there's this stop hold gap where they're just waiting for, you know, one other decision to be made or one fax to be kind of put through, but I always feel it's our responsibility you know, the patient's waiting to be the discharge to subacute or to inpatient rehab. But as a acute care therapist, I'm like, well, it's our responsibility. If they can't move to rehab, we're going to bring rehab to them. Yeah. So if that means that we're going to bring the Easton units, if we're going right. to be bringing in, you know, the, all, the, all the different equipment, because we're going to, now we have enough time to do a whole bird balance scale. I usually don't do that in acute care, but it's like, now we've got extra time. Now we really want to hammer in the balance. Like, why not? I feel that's our responsibility to give our patients the best opportunity, the best rehab, regardless of the uh, which part of the hospital that they're in. And that's what I also love about the flexibility of acute care. It's like this patient, I know I can get them seen and done 15 minutes, 20 minutes, this patient, okay, we're going to carve out a little bit of time. I'll just eat faster. And that will give them the whole 45 minutes or a whole hour and really hammer it out. So that's, that's, that's part of the fun and the creativity about acute yeah. care. Yeah. I think about that with our pre-transplant patients too. Like they, they may not be able to go home and go to rehab. They're, they're in the hospital waiting for their transplant. You want to get them as conditioned as possible, you know, before before they get on the operating table. Yeah. But as a tangent, Abby, I want to know kind of in your experience as a student thus far on rotations and clinical experiences or observations or whatever you've been doing, yeah. you know, what, what have been some of the most memorable acute care experiences you've had as a student? Yeah, I think one that does jump out to me just like kind of solidified maybe my Outlook on it was I was on the ICU floor and we were helping a patient who's on mechanical ventilation. And it just really like brought the humanity into the hospital room is kind of how I felt. So like 
we were working on like maybe we'll get edge of bed which even that like doing it on mechanical ventilation is like a big task so we're doing that and we know why we're doing it like we're doing it for cardiorespiratory system we're doing it for digestive system for skin all of that but we did it so that the patient could hug their significant other so we like got them to the edge of the bed and they hugged each other and like so we know like we're providing therapy and it's all these good benefits but at the same time like it really is like optimizing their human experience like they get to hug their significant other have it in weeks and just like that moment honestly i get emotional even thinking about it like literally the nurse is like rubbing my back because i it was just really like that has been probably the most memorable and just like combined all of my interests which like is the science is all of that but then is so much more so like the human aspect of it and helping people achieve what really matters to them so that one probably takes a cake so far but i have a lot of years ahead of me so I literally got goosebumps like two or three different times while you were telling that story. That's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And I love that you bring up like, it's not just science, right? Like, yes, we are considered a science field, but you have to bring those humanities into medicine. Like you mm -hmm. have to bring that human side. Yeah. And I think in, in physical therapists, we really get to know our patients really well. And yes. I think when we treat them as human beings mm -hmm. and we really get to know them and establish that rapport and yeah. build that relationship. Like, that means so much, right? Like, and they put so much trust in us as it is. Um, yeah. That's really just a beautiful story. I love that. Yeah, that keeps me going sometimes to think about it. <laughs> you know, your patient, oh, when, go we, ahead. when we see them in the acute care side of things, it's that they're so vulnerable, right? And, and actually yeah. bring up a good point of like, we have to be able to garner that trust. And so, Abby, I wanted to ask you too, in your experiences, you know, I think what's so important is establishing that patient rapport in that bedside manner. Because sometimes yeah. we as a therapist, we're the first ones that actually dig a little bit deeper rather than just the surface level. Here's a patient and e e even listen to our verbiage, right? Oh, it's the, the total knee replacement in room 105. Mm -hmm. It's the patient with pneumonia over here. And then we lead with their diagnosis rather than, oh, Mrs. Smith, who is a grandmother. And right. what we kind of focus on is like, their goal is to be able to hug their significant other or be able to play golf again. So. I wanted to ask you, so what, have you had any formal training or have they, have they addressed that in like the, your PT program about oh, that yeah. bedside manner and how to communicate? Because I feel a lot of students, especially with COVID, coming out of COVID and just communication is a huge thing. And Ashley, you can chime in too a little bit, you know, what your program is doing to kind of address those communication barriers. I'm going to let Abby talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is actually really emphasized, which has been like super helpful. Um, and I believe in some capacities, we're even graded on it in the sense of like empathy or like person skills, which has been helpful because sometimes it can like in all of the book knowledge that you feel like you have to accomplish to kind of like bring it back to like, what's your name? Like, what's your goal? What do you want? out of? How can I help you? Are you comfortable? So it is definitely emphasized. And we have been given like some strategies of kind of like you know, how to do it, like an eight at plus. So you like announce and you introduce yourself and yep. kind of explain what you're going to be doing always asking for consent. So it's definitely emphasized and it's something I really do care. You know, this isn't just like a physical body in front of me, like this is person and all the complexities of that. So yes, definitely emphasized. And I totally agree. I just feel like it is so important. And I found like as a student, I've never regretted like when I do for exact gap. So if someone is like, you know, you're with them, like you said, one more time, if they're crying, like grabbing them a tissue and handing it I've never regretted doing that. Sometimes it's like scary to like put yourself out there and kind of acknowledge what's happening in the room. But every time I've done it, like I really do feel like that's why I'm here sometimes. So, yeah. 
Now, did you say ate it? Yes. Okay. yes. So if my students are listening, I'm not making this up, right? So it's taught across programs, <laughs> across hospitals. I see it on hospital walls. Yes, right? yes. Do you know it's what on it stands for? Yeah, and for those right. that don't know, we should explain it. Yes, A-I-D-E-T. Go, yeah. go for it, you two. Explain. Okay, I can. So it's yeah. announce, introduce, duration, talk about how long you'll be working together, yeah. explain what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then the plus is like showing some, some compassion or kind of the extra stuff, thanking your patient, things like that. Yeah, the, the, the thank you. Yeah, thanking the patient too mm-hmm. also. T, yeah, thank so, you. So. Yep, and then the plus. Yeah, that was a nice pub quiz. You just passed. having <laughs> <laughs> yes. Glad to hear it. <laughs> I, I do have one more question before we move on to rapid response. I think you had some kind of funny moments happen in yeah. a few years as well. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? <laughs> yes. One that is like so memorable for me is I was in a group of four. So we did some team-based stuff throughout my curriculum. And several days in a row, we'd be all inside or outside patient rooms. And like nurses would come running over or other like personnel would come running over. Like, what's going on? Like, what's the situation? And we would always just be like, oh, like, we're just hanging out. Like we're observing, whatever. And then we'd move on. And then it kept happening. And eventually we kind of asked them like, you know, like, what, what do you think? And they're like, well, you're like the RRT. And we were like, honestly, like, we're just student physical therapists with SPTs. And so come to find out, we were mistaken for the rapid response team at the hospital we were at because one of my teammates was wearing a vest and like we were the same color scrubs. But it was just like so funny. We had to quickly diffuse that. We were like, we are, we're not the people to mistake to be the RRT, like that we'd be out of our scope there. But that was really funny. And so my CI was joking. She was like, yeah, I kept wondering, like, that's never happened before. Like something about you four just must agree RRT. So That's so funny. Can you imagine you're standing outside a room waiting to go in and they're like, hey, we need you over here quick. Yeah. The patient's desaturating. And you're like, wait, what? Like, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great. You want me to do what? <laughs> Well, they'll grab the other people. You probably don't. We're not ready for this. <laughs> well, that is really funny. Yeah. Do you have any advice for students who maybe are about to go on their clinical rotations in acute care? As a student who's been on some clinicals in acute care, what advice would you have for future students? Yeah. I think bringing the humanity in the room is like kind of we talked about is definitely some advice I would give. Like I said, I never have regretted doing it as long as it's professional and everything like that. But I feel like other advice would just be like looking for opportunities to help. Like if, you know, the first day you may not be able to do the whole treatment session, but going into the room, like you're probably going to be grabbing a bed sheet or another gown or something like that. So kind of finding ways that you can start to help and get like your toes in the water um, before maybe you're doing like the full treatment session. So I would just, I feel like any type of hands-on, like you said, with like grab another equipment, it's good to start off and that's kind of how I did all of mine in the beginning. And then I always, because I'd like build the confidence as I did by the end, um, taking on a lot more. So those would be my pieces of advice. I like awesome. that. Baby steps. Baby mm-hmm. steps. Yes. Sometimes like that's what you need. <laughs> that's great. I think it's time for okay, our rapid responses. <laughs> so, Abby, you know how, do you know how a rapid response round goes? Yeah, I'm a little familiar. I, I think I think I know. Okay. So quick responses. The first thing that pops up into your mind, have at it. I think Jim Smith, when Jim Smith did our rapid responses, he's got great okay, stories. I've lost the timer a couple times. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. Good to know we're going to do one minute. We're going to do one minute for this one. All right. Uh, Leah, you want to ask the first question? I'll ask the first question. All right, ready and go. Abby, what's your most favorite dessert? Chocolate chip cookies. Good. 
a favorite professor at Duke. <laughs> Dr. Poole. <laughs> <What? laughs> I'm kidding. All favorites. Okay. Favorite way to exercise? Weightlifting, I would say currently. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Oh, definitely morning. Yeah. What's a book recommendation you have for a first year PT student? A book recommendation? Honestly, all your textbooks. Well, maybe not all, but most of them. I'm still looking at them right now on clinicals. Okay. So, Very cool. like a... what type of music are you listening to right now? A lot of Taylor Swift. Very cool. What is on your workout playlist? Workout your... playlist would be probably more Taylor Swift, which is a funny thing to work out to. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> People used to think I was weird. I used to work out to ballads. So, I have one more question. Another podcast recommendation that you have that people should listen to. Another podcast. I feel like I just have so many school answers, so I really do apologize. But I'm blanking on the name of it now. But there's like an NPT practice question one that um, yeah. and I would recommend that for students because really give the NPT practice questions. Yes. yes, that's great. Our time is up, so you have to do our last one. You know, you work in acute care when fill in the blank. Yes. You know, you work in acute care when, I had another answer too, when you are constantly interrupting, this would be my. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. It's like, oh my students, <laughs> maybe, ex excuse me, hi, Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> you get the side eye from the patient. Well, every time. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is when you find out, like, you were just walking past the room and the patient was awake, and then they know, then you're knocking the door, then they pretend nothing happened. And... Yes. Yeah. Come back later. Mr. Sir, or you're interrupting lunch. Yeah. Yes. Meals or breakfast. Oh, lunch. Always. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Abby, if other students or anybody else wants to find you somehow, is there a way they can contact you? Either social media, email, feel free to share what you want. Yeah. I think I'd be comfortable with both. So I have a LinkedIn. It's just Abigail Gibson and it'll say like Duke University. So LinkedIn is a way to contact me, but then also, my school email would be totally acceptable. So it's just abigail.gibson at duke.edu. But yeah, definitely if any students or anyone has any questions, would love to get back to them. Ooh, I've got one more question, Abby. Okay. And uh, any fun stories about Dr. Poole? What was your like first hey, impression with Dr. Poole? Now okay. that she's here. You know what? I do actually have a story, Dr. Poole. I hope it's okay. It's, it's a good story. Don't worry. You should I put on earmuffs? <laughs> I, I think we'll be, hopefully we'll be good. I'm like, well, Dr. Poole is like an excellent, excellent professor to have and really like mid-course. So great for students. So she teaches cardiopalm at my PT school. And so much so, like she really puts her heart and soul. And even like when she was going through her own, huh. like- Heart and soul. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, even when she had her own illness or like, cough she would let us listen to her lungs um so we could hear like because all of us are like our lungs were clear we didn't really know but she would like even put herself and she's like you know what this is a great learning opportunity i'm not feeling well like listen on me and i was just like that is just like what a great showing up for your students type of thing like she didn't feel well but she still she let us um, do some patient, we so. should probably also mention i have asthma which i'm happy to share but during abby's particular class i had covid on top of bronchitis, on top of pneumonia. So I brought in my lung chest, I brought in my chest x-rays to show them. And yes, they listened to me. I was all kinds of nasty sounds during that time. <laughs> that professor mindset, like, ooh, teaching opportunity, even though it's oh like, oh my gosh, exactly. <laughs> my urgent care doctor, yep. I would 
I literally went to urgent care that morning, got diagnosed with pneumonia, went to teach, and then I was out for a few days. But I remember at my urgent care visit, we were literally teaching pulmonary pathology that afternoon. And she was like, yeah, you have a pretty bad, nasty case of pneumonia. And I was like, can I get a copy of that chest x-ray? So I can use this And she was like, what? You should be going to class. I'm like, no, I have to go to class, but then I'll stay home the next day. <laughs> yes. I'm going straight home, wink, wink. Yeah. It was great. I learned a lot. Well, Abby, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us and having this conversation. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you for Abby. Yes, thank you. We would like to thank Katie and Abby for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APTA Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argillis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Bathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. For more information about APTA Acute Care, please go to our website, aptaacutecare.org, and be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, Please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with Elisa Curry, the outgoing chair of the Total Joint Sale. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today.